engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here, Atlanta's Evening News on WSB. The phone number is 404-872-0750-1800. WSB Talk, if you would like to be a part of the program. Justin Amish, congressman from Michigan, is making all sorts of headlines over his having read the Mueller report and concluding President Trump should be impeached. The president has lashed out at uh, Justin this afternoon. I happen to know um, Justin Amish and know the president as well, for that matter. And I got to tell you, I disagree with him. Uh, he, But Amish is exceedingly thoughtful. He is exceedingly principled. And he's a man of conviction. And Republicans do, I think, need to stand up and take notice when you have a conservative of that much principle who stands up and says, yeah, I've read the report. I think that um, William Barr, the attorney general, has misrepresented the report and the president needs to be impeached. I, I just can I can I have a time out for just a minute here? Um you know, let me just, for those of you, I know we, we've got a lot of listeners who you've been listening for a while and, and I'm just the guy on the radio, but let me, let me just back up for a minute and reset. I was a lawyer for a number of years in Macon, Georgia, um, wound up getting elected to the city council in Macon. Um, but during that time started a political website called Red State. It eventually became the most widely read uh, right of center website on Capitol Hill. Uh, I left there in the end of 2015 to start The Resurgent. And along the way, have backed and supported a number of candidates for office over time. In fact, we're doing The Resurgent gathering here in Atlanta in August. The vice president's coming, the governor's coming, uh, a bunch of different senators are coming, a bunch of different congressmen are coming. We're even bringing execs from Google and Facebook to talk to conservatives about privacy and, and whatnot. Um, and every time, in all cases, I have also um, invited candidates to these events and have endorsed and backed candidates along the way. And in 2009, when I did the first red state gathering, uh, let me give you the names of some of the candidates showed up, people who weren't elected to office. Um, Pat Toomey, uh, Roy Blunt, he, those are the more squishy of the two. But then uh, there was a guy named Ted Cruz, there's a guy named Marco Rubio. There was a lady named Liz Cheney. There was a lady named Nikki Haley. Uh, all of them came to the very first red state gathering. And Nikki Haley, I went to bat for very hard. We've become very good friends since then. Uh, I'll never forget she called me two weeks before Christmas or so, two or three weeks before Christmas that year, 2009, saying, look, uh, I am in fourth place in the polling and I'm out of money. Can you do something? And I started writing about Nikki Haley every day. Uh, raised her enough money, got her the attention of Sarah Palin. Sarah Palin endorsed her. I went over to the steps of the state house in Columbia, South Carolina to introduce uh, Nikki Haley and Sarah Palin on stage for that endorsement. She won the governor's race. Uh, worked with Ted Cruz. Ted Cruz has been to every every one of my events that I've done. Uh, Marco Rubio has been to several of them. Nikki Haley's been to all of them. And these are not. I'm not name dropping for the sake of name dropping. I'm doing this to tell you that for over a decade before I was ever a guy on radio, I ran a political website. It's now morphed into something called the Resurgent. And along the way, I have done my best to find good candidates and put them into the arena. 
And in putting candidates into the arena, I may not always agree with the candidates. And that, that's one of the key issues here. I may not always agree with the candidates on everything. But what I try to do is find good principled conservatives to run for office that you can be proud of, even when you disagree with them, because you say, you know what, this guy has parameters through which he views legislation. He's not an opportunist. He doesn't stick his finger in the air and say, hey, I'm, uh, what what is the polling telling me? He says, is this constitutional? Can Congress do this? Is this the right thing to do? Will we save money? Will we grow government? There are a lot of people today who are turning on Justin Amish because they don't like his conclusion. And so suddenly he's a traitor. I've heard several people call him a traitor. Uh, Justin Amish is one of the people that at, at Red State, I said, you know what? This guy, this is a guy who you may not always agree with him, but he's not going to let you down on principle. And he's not letting you down. On, you may be you may disagree with him. I disagree with him. But the fact of the matter is this is a guy you want who makes up his mind and doesn't go with the herd. Contrast him with Kevin McCarthy, the leader of of the Republicans in the House of Representatives. Kevin McCarthy's hairspray holds him firmer than his principles ever will hold him. Kevin McCarthy has no principles. He sticks his finger in his mouth and then raises it in the air to see which way the wind is blowing. And the moment the popular opinion polling in this country turns decisively against the president, Kevin McCarthy will be against the president. And not a moment before that. I would much prefer a House of Representatives full of people like Justin Amish, who we know where he stands on the issue, even if we disagree with him, as opposed to Kevin McCarthy, who will stab you in the back the moment the polling changes. We would all be better off with a guy like Justin Amish. Now, he has arrived at a conclusion that I think is different uh, from my own conclusion about the Mueller report. He thinks the president should be impeached. I don't. One of the reasons I think so is this. When the Democrats impeached or when the Republicans impeached Bill Clinton, they began the impeachment process in the lame duck session immediately following the conclusion of the 1998 um, primary season. And thereafter, they then in 1999, in January, the Senate began the impeachment trial of Bill Clinton. It was resolved by February of 1999, headed into the 2000 presidential season. We are now in at May 20th. The Democrats are already having town halls. Their first debate is scheduled next month. Uh, you've got 2,000 candidates who have entered the Democratic primary. At this point, my view is whether you believe impeachment is right or not, solve it at the ballot box. Impeachment at this point is just a distraction. And frankly, my personal view is don't impeach the president reelecting. I disagree with Justin Amish on that. But I respect Justin Amish, and I respect that he knew what was going to happen when he came out, and he was still willing to do it because he's governed by principles and conviction. And there are too many people in Washington in both parties who are governed by polls and focus groups, not by principle and conviction. And I think he should be applauded for being governed by um, principle and conviction. You know, just one more point on, on this issue. It's really disheartening to me to see Republicans willing to attack a good Republican member of Congress because they disagree with him on an issue. And you can say, well, impeachment is such a monumental issue, but there are so many other monumental issues out there as well. We have very few members of Congress who are deeply principled. 
And again, I think we'd be better off with more of them being deeply principled. Um, and this outrage, I think, is misplaced. There are plenty of people who can read the Mueller report and conclude that there was a, there were a lot of things that happened in the campaign that should not have happened. And more specifically, where Amish is, is the president's actions after getting elected um, in how not just firing James Comey, which Amish himself has said Comey should be fired, but also in how the president tried to impede the investigation by Mueller. Amish thinks that uh, there's a there there. And if the Democrats want to hold hearings, let the Democrats hold hearings. I I think it benefits the president, actually, for the Democrats to hold these hearings. They will be seen as a partisan affair, and they will more and more discredit this, which is why they're not doing it. I I think that that's something here that needs to be pointed out. Democrats have been talking a game about impeachment for a while, and they're not now doing it. And the reason they're not now doing it is because they think it will allow the president then to dismiss it as a partisan affair. And I think they're right on that. I think that if the Republicans um, have their way, Democrats will do impeachment hearings. Yeah, you heard that right. I think if the Republicans have their way, the Democrats will do impeachment hearings. The Republicans would love for the Democrats to do this. In fact, there are Democrats out there, Nancy Pelosi among them, who's saying that she thinks the president's trying to bait them into impeachment. Steny Hoyer has said this as well. He thinks the president's trying to bait them into, into doing impeachment hearings. And that in and of itself is keeping them from doing it. Why? Because they believe it will motivate a Republican Party, part of which has not been very motivated to support the president. And two, um, that in doing so, it will allow the president to claim that this is just a, a partisan attack on him. And in being a partisan attack on him, it is something that most of the nation can tune out. The nation will not tune into it. It's just if it's just viewed as Democrats versus Republicans, as opposed to uh, principled stand by Congress against a corrupt president. So they get this. Uh, it is notable that Amish coming out. He certainly helps the Democrats um, add a little legitimacy to the impeachment hearing, and that is why a lot of his colleagues are upset about it. But. It's also very notable the number of Republicans who have long hated Amish because he makes them look bad because he stands on principle. Kevin McCarthy among them, the House Republican leader, and suddenly they relish the opportunity to come out and attack Amish, not because uh, they really disagree with him. Privately, many of these Republicans actually agree with Amish. That's one of the most frustrating things here is, is you need to understand that behind the scenes in private, talking to members of Congress on the Republican side, they hate the president's guts. Remember my talk with a congressman in a Safeway grocery store? An evil Forrest Gump is how he referred to the president of the United States. This is a sitting, still there Republican member of Congress. They don't like him behind the scenes and they say glowing things in public. And Kevin or Justin Amish's sin is not that he called for the president's impeachment. His sin is that he dared to say publicly what a lot of these Republicans think privately. The phone number here, 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. Let's see. Yes, uh, Mike in Marietta, you're up next. Welcome. Hey, hey, Eric. Uh, you lost me just a little bit there, buddy. I, I um, When you brought this subject up, uh, I've been listening forever. And at first, I remember back when you were, in my head, a never-Trumper, and then... You've lately been singing the praises of 
Trump's economy and blah, blah, blah. And I thought, well, wow, he sort of came around. And then now I'm, I'm just sort of, I don't know where you are, man. <laughs> okay. So, you know, Mike, that's a great question. Th- thanks very much for calling in and asking, because uh, I wrote about this several months ago. Um, I, I founded, I'm, I'm cited as founding the Never Trump movement in, in 2016. Uh, I certainly came up with the hashtag. Well, I shouldn't say I did. A friend of mine did. I, I used it and it kind of took on a life of its own in February of 2016. And I, I did not vote for the president in 2016. I voted third party. And as we headed to 2020, I've been thinking a lot about this. And a, the way I view it is very simple. As much as there are problems I have with the president in his character, I have a lot of problems there, and I think character counts. Uh, I thought character counted in 2016, and I went third party, and what did that give me? Well, it gave me President Trump. So in 2020, if I think character counts, well, I go third party again, but I went third party last time. That guy turned out to be insane. Um, Or I could vote for a Democrat, but just because, and this is where I think people— misconstrue this the democrats may smile and seem jovial and joking and they're not going on insane twitter rants like the president but that doesn't mean they have good character it just means they have better demeanor i mean these are people willing to slaughter children up until the moment of birth if not thereafter and shut down christian businesses i should spend a little time talking to you about this and i will when we come back why i changed my mind Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here, Atlanta's Evening News on WSB. I was not going to do this. I wanted to talk about the series end of Game of Thrones and all the people upset about it. But Mike called in the last segment, and, and Mike said, hey, I just heard you say you support the president's reelection. What happened? You were an ever-Trumper. And, you know, I forget that I can talk about this on radio. I can write about it at The Resurgent. You should go to theresurgent.com every day. In fact, you should text the word SHOW to 444 999 and you can get my daily email that has all this stuff but you, you know people float in and out you're never here on the same day usually um and so people miss out what, what's going on here well I, I wrote about this a while back uh yeah i'm going to vote for the president in 2020 and i still maintain my deep reservations about the president particularly of his character and i'll just tell you what i wrote and is This has been a while coming, I suppose, and I'm still fairly critical of the president, and you'd be amazed at the number of people who get so angry with me for criticizing the president. It's one of my deep frustrations, but I realize that's not a frustration with him. It's a frustration with the people who are in the cult of personality, who believe that um, their favorite can have no criticism, and I'm one of those people who thinks that we should be able to criticize from within our own side, because otherwise the voters are going to hold us accountable if we can't clean up our own house. One of my issues with Ralston and, and Jim Beck and the like is we got to clean up our own house. I think the president has deep character flaws, and I think he has some policies that I think are genuinely terrible. I think tariffs are a terrible policy on principle. They may be working against China, but in principle, they are a terrible policy. I have real problems with some of the things this president does. But I also had real problems with things that George W. Bush did. I opposed George W. Bush on the immigration fight. I opposed him on the Harriet Myers nomination. I opposed him on No Child Left Behind and the GM bailout and TARP and all that stuff. Um, but I still liked the guy. He was my president. I thought he had great character. I wish Donald Trump had George W. Bush's character. 
But when we head into 2020, here's what I think. In, in 2016, I, I was one of the so-called leaders of the Never Trump movement. I, a friend of mine suggested that hashtag Never Trump to me, and it took on a life of its own. People to this day call themselves Never Trump as a result of that hashtag on Twitter. And I, I voted third party in 2016. And so when we head into 2020, I, I've got some choices. One of those choices is vote third party again. Well, I voted third party in 2016. People told me I was helping Hillary Clinton. Donald Trump got elected anyway. Didn't need my vote. I could vote third party again, but there really isn't a good third party candidate out there. And the third party candidate I liked in 2016, I, I'm ashamed I voted for the guy. He's, he's gone Trump derangement syndrome and all the things he claimed to stand for. He now does it because Trump. I could sit it out, and that's not in my nature to sit out a political vote. I, sometimes you're asked to cast tough votes, and sometimes that tough vote is the vote for president. I could vote Democrat, but I ain't doing that. So I'm left with Republican, and that's the president. And if I could get this president's administration without the president, I would do that, but I can't. You can't have the Trump administration without Donald Trump. And compared to what I would get with the Democrats, I'm totally okay voting for President Trump at this point. I I voted in 2016 and said character counts. And I still think character counts. And I am still appalled on a regular basis with the things that come out of this president's mouth on Twitter and, and the things he does. But this was my epiphany. I think character counts and... 100 million Americans thought otherwise in 2016. 100 million Americans were willing to vote for Hillary Clinton or Donald Trump in 2016. And I still think character counts, but I'm in the minority on this. And I'm not going to walk away from the process just because I think people could have done better. But I am going to deal with the reality we're in, not the reality I wanted. The reality we're in is we're with Donald Trump versus one of many Democrats, all of whom are progressively further to the left, all of whom support killing children until the moment they pass through the birth canal, and some of them support killing the kid even then. They all support shutting down Christian small businesses who refuse to um, stand up and support the cultural agenda of the left, including baking cakes for gay weddings. I think a Christian should be able to say, you know what? I'm not going to say no gays allowed, but when it comes to a cake, it's for a religious ceremony called a wedding, and I'm not going to support that. And they're fine shutting down those Christian small businesses. They're fine persecuting Christians. They are fine going after homeschoolers. They are fine going after private schools. They are fine going after charter schools. You know, I got a lot of problems with this president, but this president does not look at me and my values and think that they are wrong and need to be reeducated or silenced. And so when I'm asked to choose between a president of the United States who I have serious reservations about his character and some of his policies versus a Democratic Party that not only hates my guts and my way of life, but wants to silence me, censor me, drive me from the air and, and drive me out of the town square because I'm a Christian, I think I'll go with the president of the United States on that. What I think as well is that some of you will get very, very, very mad at me for criticizing this president still, but I'm going to keep criticizing him too. I think that this president does things that are wrong, tariffs being one of them. I think the president has deep character flaws. 
and I'm not willing to say, hey, I'm on the team. I'm going to shut up. No, I've never done. I didn't do that with George W. Bush. I didn't do that with John McCain. I didn't do that with Mitt Romney. I'm not going to do it with Donald Trump. If you don't like it, that's fine. But I'm going to do it because deep down, you know, it's true. And deep down, you're glad someone's willing to say the things you don't think you can because you're on the team and you got to be a cheerleader. But that doesn't mean I'm going to vote for the Democrats because I got to tell you, I have come to the conclusion that most of the people who think the Democrats have better character than the president really have confused themselves with the English language. They're not talking about character. They're talking about demeanor. They like the jovial, happy Pete Buttigieg. Oh, he's so funny. He's so cool. Yay, yay, Pete. Pete Buttigieg is now on the record saying that women should be able to kill their children up until the moment the child comes into the world. And yeah, shut down the Christian businesses and ban the Christian adoption agencies. I'm a Christian. I'm not going to vote for someone against my values. And while the president doesn't share my values, and, and I'm not sure of his faith, he certainly doesn't view me as the enemy like the Democrats do. So that's why I've changed my mind, headed into 2020. Now, listen. Here's something um, regarding this. You and I can disagree on this. I, you know, I got people who they want to excuse the president's behavior altogether. And I don't think you can. And I think you, you lose your intellectual honesty when you're willing to give the president a pass for things you weren't willing to give the Democrats a pass on. I mean, my buddy David French gets beaten up for calling out Franklin Graham. Franklin Graham took a very public position in the late 1990s that Bill Clinton needed to be impeached um, because of what he did with Monica Lewinsky. But now he says that President Trump cheating on his wife with porn stars, that's none of our business. I, I don't see how anyone can be that intellectually inconsistent. What I do see, though, is that we've got two parties and we're being asked not to choose between uh, the lesser of two evils, but between the evils of two lessers. And I, I can't vote for the Democrats. I can't. Um, they hold my values in contempt. They would shut down the businesses of people of faith because they disagree with the faith. They are increasingly hostile to anyone who's not a secularist. They would put on the federal bench a bunch of people who I disagree with ideologically. And some of you will say, well, what about 2016? What's different in 2016? I, I've gotten that. You know what? In 2016, Donald Trump was a hypothetical. Let, let's, not, let's not rewrite 2016. In 2016, Donald Trump was defending Planned Parenthood, and he had preachers defending Planned Parenthood. Oh, yeah, they do do good stuff. Donald Trump was saying that we do need to tax the rich. In 2016, he was saying all the things that reaffirmed in my mind, you know, this guy really is still the Democrat. He always has been. He was a Democrat donor. He was a hypothetical in 2016, though. He's not a hypothetical now. He's got an actual track record. And while some of it is deeply flawed, some of it is very good. Tax cuts, good. Y'all, we have the lowest peacetime unemployment since World War II right now. We have virtually full employment. The tax cuts have helped. Major American corporations are repatriating capital. You know, tax revenue in Washington is up. Unfortunately, spending is up as well. So the national debt and deficit keep going up, but we've got record high tax revenue going into Washington. Why? Because the president cut taxes and stimulated the economy and that economic uh, stimulation generated more tax revenue. He's got a grown-up foreign policy when it comes to Israel. He's got a grown-up foreign policy when it comes to Saudi Arabia. He's got a grown-up foreign policy when it comes to China. He's got a grown-up foreign policy when it comes to Iran. He does. 
And he is willing to call out our allies who have largely been able to stand behind us and let us do all the heavy lifting in the world. And while I think we should continue to do the heavy lifting, and I don't like the president's criticisms of NATO, I do like the fact that the president is willing to point out that a lot of these countries have gotten lazy over the years in terms of foreign policy and military because they've been able to rely on us and our spending. And what of the Democrats? They're just deeply hostile to my values. They make it very clear they want to shut people like me and you, most of you, out of society unless we correct our wrong thinking. I don't care about being on the right side of history. I think the whole idea of the right side of history is how a secularist says things when they write God out of history. What I do care about, though, deeply is that the Democrats are increasingly hostile to my values. And while I don't think the president shares my values, he's not at war with my values and doesn't think I'm at war with his. The phone number here, 404-872-0750-1800-WSB-TALK. At the beginning of the program, I mentioned the resurgent gathering will be happening in Atlanta August 1st through the 4th. If you want to come, um, so we'll have Governor Kemp, uh, Senators Tom Cotton, Tim Scott, David Perdue, uh, Johnny Isaacson is tentative. Um, we've got Congressman Jody Heiss. Mark Meadows confirmed this weekend, called me this weekend. Uh, the head of the House Freedom Caucus will be there. Congressman Chip Roy from Texas. Uh, Ajit Pai, the FCC chairman. Uh, and we can't tell you the vice president is coming, because. Uh, but uh, we've invited him. Uh, ticket prices are about to go up when we make a big announcement about a speaker I'm not allowed to tell you about. But right now, you can go for 99 bucks if you want to. Text the word Atlanta to 345-345, and I'll send you back the Eventbrite link so you can register. It's the first weekend in August, uh, the Grand Hyatt in Buckhead. We have a great slate of speakers coming. Uh, looking forward to it. If you want to come, text Atlanta to 345-345. Now, um, you know, at some point, I'll share my concluding thoughts in Game of Thrones, and we can be done with this. I was disappointed in last night's episode to a degree. It was very rushed. Um, but the series itself was wonderful. It, it was, it's a well-done series. And some of you have emailed and said, how can you watch this? John Piper and Kevin DeYoung said Christians can't watch it. If we have time, I'll get into it. But there was a huge Republican convention in Savannah over the weekend. And, oh, they punted on dealing with Jim Beck and David Ralston. I'll give you the details and a whole lot more when we come back. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here, Atlanta's Evening News. We got a lot to cover, starting with the Republican Convention in Savannah. The phone number, if you want to be a part of the program, 404-872-0750-1800. WSB Talk. Uh, you know, to talk about the convention, I'm going to let David go on and join me for this. David, welcome from Buford. Hello. How are you? I'm good. How about yourself? I'm doing okay. It was so, a long day on Saturday. Yeah, you were at the convention. What are your thoughts? Um, the convention ran very, very long. There was not a concerted effort 
to um, table or not vote on motions concerning opinions of uh, Ralston or Beck. Uh, the issue was that um, probably due to some inefficiencies and other things, the convention ran um, until 7 o'clock. Uh, we just lost him. I think that was on my end. Um, we're going to have to let David call back in. Um, and David, my apologies. That was actually my fault. Not you. I pushed the wrong button. Um, but, uh, to, to David's point there with the resolutions, um, the, the rules committee and the resolutions committee were delayed in meeting and then stacked the deck against um, the resolution on Ralston and made it difficult for a resolution on Beck to go forward. Ken Pullen, a state representative, one of the 10 brave ones who signed the resolution calling for Ralston's ouster, uh, he, um, he put up a floor fight uh, but was not able to navigate under the parliamentary rules to be able to get the resolution changed. Essentially, the resolution against Ralston actually would have praised the legislature as opposed to calling for Ralston's ouster, and the conservative delegates did not want to go along with that. Uh, now, um, before we get back to David, him calling back in to give us the play-by-play, and again, my apologies, that was totally my fault. Now, I actually just got told there were six resolutions regarding David Ralston and the state party stacked the deck in the resolutions committee and killed Ralston's, uh, killed all the resolutions against Ralston. So none of them got forward. And, you know, they were already seeding the field with the Jim Beck situation saying, well, you can't pass resolution to Alice Ralston if you don't pass one to Alice Beck. And people wanted to pass both resolutions. But again, the state party made sure to stack the deck against, um, against those resolutions so they could not go forward. I'm waiting for David to call back in. So can I have a confession? Can y'all have a laugh at my expense? So I, well, you know what here, David is back now. All right, David, I got to apologize for hanging up on you, but you can have your laugh of the day at my expense for having hung up on you. I've been battling a gnat in the studio for about an hour. And it landed on my trackpad, and I killed it. But in killing it on the trackpad, the arrow was right over the hang-up button. And so when I touched the trackpad, it hung up on you. But I killed the gnat. Well, I guess some things are positive. (laughs) I'm sorry about that, but that damn thing has been flying around me for an hour trying to go up my nose. So anyway, I apologize. Let's get back to the convention. Uh, There was a procedural vote fairly early on in the day. I won't get into the weeds with it but basically um the chair called for a voice vote or a standing vote they couldn't tell the difference so we did a count and um the group that of the 1350 plus delegates um a little over uh, 1200 voted actually it was almost 1300 voted so this is pretty close to the will of the convention on the procedural vote uh it was either 659 or 669 that were uh, against allowing uh, new resolutions to come from the floor that already been vetted, and which was uh, basically a slap down for uh, allowing the Ralston um, condemnation resolution to come up, mm-hmm. and the ones the amount for it was six sixteen. So in the procedural vote, you kind of got a will of the convention. 
Right. Now, my understanding as well is that there were six resolutions that went through the resolutions committee and the resolutions committee uh, killed all of them in the committee, which is why they were pushing for the floor to not accept resolutions from the floor so they couldn't come back up. Actually, there were 49 resolutions. Six were allowed to go through. The one that came up on the screen that was allowed to go through but wasn't voted on because the convention ended um, was a request of the legislature to change the leave policy so that uh, leave uh, leave was only allowed or uh, continuances on cases was only allowed when the legislature was in session. Right. Yeah, and even the the conservative activists I talked to, they they were aggravated. That was the one to go forward. Listen, David, I apologize for for having hit the hang up button. I'm glad I killed the gnat, but not at your expense. But thanks very much for calling in on that. Um, that was very very helpful. Now I, I, I'm getting text messages from folks who are listening as well. Uh, so there, yes, the the vote to change the rules to allow the resolutions on the floor failed. Uh, 669 against to 616 for. A lot of votes. Um, six resolutions went through the uh, resolutions committee. The resolutions committee was delayed to meet while they put people on it that the state party could control, essentially. And all of the six resolutions about David Rawson were ruled invalid to stop them from ever getting to the floor. And then, of course, by bare bones majority, then prohibited more resolutions from coming up at the floor. The resolution that made it to the floor would have praised the legislature for changing the law. It wasn't actually asking, I think David misspoke, they weren't asking the legislature to change. The legislature did do that change at the last minute, and it was to praise the legislature for acting, didn't mention David Ralston at all. Uh, And so everybody rejected that one. You're really, really disappointing, but not surprising. Typically, the establishment controls these things. They control them with a tight grip, and Ralston's allies were largely in charge of the party. So there you have it. Uh, but that doesn't mean the fight is over. In fact, the fight, if nothing else, is heating up. It, it showed there was actually a very strong conservative sentiment against David Ralston, and you're going to see some of these local parties now going back and passing resolutions that they couldn't pass them at the state level to do this. Uh, this I don't under I don't think that Republicans at the state level in Georgia understand that this issue is not going away. It is going to continue to escalate, and the Democrats are going to turn it into a campaign issue as we head into 2020. Uh, The best way for Republicans to move forward to get this off their plate is to get Ralston to go away. Uh, Name him a judge or something, for God's sake, in Fanning County, but make him, uh, get him out of the state legislature. We've got to hold on to the majority. If you're a Republican, you do not want Democrats drawing lines. Remember the last time Democrats drew lines? You know, quick history lesson before we go to break. The last time Democrats drew lines in the state, uh, for those of you who hate gerrymandering, you should have seen these lines. One congressional district, you literally could pole vault over a different district from one end. This was the 11th congressional district. It looped around almost like an OK symbol. And you could pole vault from one side of the district to the other side over a separate district. Another district, this is the second congressional district down in southwest Georgia, connected lakes through the Walter F. George Reservoir on the Chattahoochee River to form the district. You actually had state house districts that stretched from Columbus to Macon and from Macon to Augusta. 
you had a Savannah legislative district that stretched from Savannah almost across three quarters of the state. These were the Democrats drew these districts to try to hang on to power. Federal judges threw them out. They also embraced multi-member districts where they would stack multiple people in one massive district, and they drew them so that no Republicans could get elected in those seats. All the Democrats who get outraged about redistricting conveniently did not get outraged about redistricting until they could no longer draw the lines. But that's what's going to happen, again, if the Republicans lose control of the legislature. Democrats in Georgia have already established that precedent. They will do it again if they get back the legislature. And if David Ralston and Jim Beck are still in power, you can be darn sure that the Democrats are going to make that an issue of corruption and, and rule of government and rule of law. And a lot of voters are going to be persuaded by it. If, if, they can't, if the Republicans can't clean up their own house, voters are going to do it for them. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. I'm, I'm actually kind of shocked, I have to admit it, to hear reporters taking this tone. Um, but Lisa Lair from the New York Times was on television, I think on CNN, and actually went after Elizabeth Warren for her comments about refusing to appear on Fox News. Well, there is this big debate, as you allude to, in the Democratic Party about whether or not to go on Fox at all. Uh, Elizabeth Warren, the Democratic National Committee say it's not something Democrats should do because by going on Fox, Democrats are just helping uh, this uh, this network that vilifies them every day, nonstop, make money. Uh, and then you have the flip side, which is Senator Bernie Sanders, uh, you know, Mayor Buttigieg saying we need to reach people where they are. And there is some concern, um, you know, with the Warren argument that it, it tiptoes dangerously close to deplorables, that phrase that got Hillary Clinton in so much mm. trouble uh, during the last election. And so you don't want to sort of vilify people, you, even if you're trying to vilify the network. What? What? They're comparing it to Hillary Clinton? And the deplorables? Really? Yes, they are. You know, interestingly enough, who went on Fox, who was willing to go on with Chris Wallace? In fact, the president of the United States, who loves Fox News, will not sit down with Chris Wallace for an interview. But, yep, Mayor Buttigieg, he's willing to go anywhere. You know, I've talked to a number of reporters because I, I do think there's a bias in how they're covering this. I mean, look at how they covered Beto and poor old Beto now. Uh, Pete Buttigieg is now dominating uh, Democrat coverage in the press. But I've talked to a couple of reporters, and one of the things they say is what people don't realize about the coverage Buttigieg is getting is because he makes himself available. Any and every media outlet that wants to talk to him gets an interview with him. So, of course, they're covering him. Maybe Beto could learn something as his campaign reboots. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. Atlanta's Evening News. The phone number is 404-872-0750-1800 WSB Talk. Um, I, you know, let me just play this clip. It, it kind of speaks for itself, and but then I want to get into it. 
Well, I, I think he made some news on the fact that he supports a wealth tax and, and also a tax on financial transactions. So, you know, in the, in the economic sphere, he sounds more like Elizabeth Warren. Uh, he made he made some policy uh, proposals last That's night that are far squarely left. from the progressive wing of the party. Sure. And I think the, the, the one challenge Buttigieg is going to have is prove that he is an electable Democrat. In the Fox News poll that came out uh, last week, Buttigieg is the only Democrat to lose in a matchup against President Trump. He performed the worst among all the Democratic candidates. What? You mean a guy with no experience performs terribly against the president of the United States? Amazing. That's Josh Crashauer. He was on CNN talking about uh, Pete Buttigieg, who has been on with uh, Chris Matthews. Buttigieg has in public portrayed himself as reasonable, never mind that his father was actually a communist. Uh, and, and I don't mean that pejoratively. His dad actually was a, uh, believe it, it was a history professor and identified with the Communist Party, raised his son as a, a real progressive. And if you actually listen to Buttigieg, when he gives comments, I mean, Chris Matthews pushed him on a number of things on Fox and he's really not as deep as, as the media had given him on issues. He's really not substantive. He says uh, a lot of vapid things and makes them sound impressive, but they're really not. But oh, Chris Matthews, or Chris Matthews, Chris Wallace on Fox pushed him on issues. And some of what he did was he came out for truly socialist proposals, a wealth tax. So it, you need to understand the income tax versus wealth tax. So an income tax is you make a million dollars. The government says, okay, hand over a third of your salary. With a wealth tax, you're worth a million dollars. And the government decides that you have to hand over part of your wealth. So it's not money you've earned. It's what the government assesses your wealth to be and forces you to pay. Now, that sounds good if you're a socialist, because you want to make rich people poorer so that you can make poor people richer. But as Margaret Thatcher said, at some point you run out of other people's money. And countries that have wealth taxes tend to see rich people flee those countries to countries that don't tax their wealth. Guess what? The richer you are, the less likely you are to say, I got to stay in America. No, you're, you're in it for your money. And when you become super wealthy, you're willing to leave. Now, it's interesting because you know one of the people who would have been charged with a wealth tax, one of the people whose wealth would have been confiscated by the federal government if Pete Buttigieg's uh, policies were put into effect, you probably know his name because he's been buzzing a whole lot in the media, Robert Smith. He was, if I remember right, he was the, uh, had been the CEO of American Express, is that right? Um, Robert Smith, he's a billionaire, he's a graduate of Morehouse College. And he decided to pay off all the loans of all the graduates of the class of 2019 of Morehouse. Men of Morehouse, you are surrounded by a community of people who have helped you arrive at this sacred place and on this sacred day. On behalf of the eight generations of my family who have been in this country, we're going to put a little fuel in your bus. Now, I've got the alumni over there, and this is a challenge to you, alumni. This is my class, 2019. And my family is making a grant to eliminate their student loans. 
He was uh, Goldman Sachs, uh, not Amex. Uh, he founded Vista Equity Partners, private equity, venture capital firm. He is a billionaire. Um, and as a billionaire, he had the money to do it, and he did it. He paid off the student loans of the 2019 class at Morehouse. Good for him. I mean, good for him. This is a, a just a wonderfully gracious thing to do. He previously donated $1.5 million for scholarships and for a park to Morehouse. But that is a, a gracious, gracious thing for him to do with his money. And if Pete Buttigieg and Elizabeth Warren had their way, his wealth would have been taken from him and he would not have been able to do that. And do you really believe the government would have done that? Elizabeth Warren says she wants to make college free. But even taking the wealth of, of billionaires, they're not going to be able to pay f- to make college free. Just they don't have enough money even with that. But it's just amazing to me. They think that they know what to do better with Robert Smith's money than what he did. If you're listening to this program and you're graduating from Morehouse, or you're one of the people with a loan who's that's going to be paid by this man. You just need to understand that it wouldn't be possible if the government imposed a wealth tax. And it's not like you would have gotten a free education otherwise. You need to keep that in mind. By the way, so on Wednesday, I'm sending out uh, the recipes that I worked on over the weekend, which is basically breakfast for large family. Um, Biscuits, candied bacon, sheet pan scrambled eggs, and grits that you don't even have to touch. You just put them on the stove and leave them. Uh, Text the word recipe to 345-345, and I'll send that out to you on Wednesday. Buttigieg, I'm going full circle here now. Robert Smith, billionaire, pays off the student loans of Morehouse College graduates. So they get to start in the world debt-free. He encourages them to do something similar when they get into a position to be generous with others with their money. And certainly there need to be billionaires and millionaires doing this. But the idea of this wealth tax, it is a socialist tax. And Pete Buttigieg and Elizabeth Warren favor it. Bernie Sanders favors it. We would be depriving people of the generosity of the Gates Foundation. We would be depriving people of the generosity of uh, Robert Smith. We would be depriving people of the generosity of all sorts of rich people on the idea that the government knows better and will spend the money better, and history shows that's never the case. And with Buttigieg, he's been trying to show himself as a reasonable, moderate Democrat. But in fact, when you push him on policy, what you actually see is contrary to the media reports. He really is a doctrinaire, radical leftist when it comes to economic policy. He really does believe in policies that will ruin the country. And again, again, if I'm... Given the choice of Donald Trump or one of these socialist Democrats, you're darn right. I'm choosing Donald Trump. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. And I got one more clip of audio that I I just I got to play for you before we head to the top of the hour. Uh, this is John Kasich, who is now a CNN contributor, talking about the president. We have a bunch of countries that are connected to us through the World Trade Organization. It is the way in which we manage this trade relationship. If you don't have good trade relationships, it can lead to conflict. 
the president was right to go after them from the standpoint of them stealing our intellectual property, not having a level playing field, having state-subsidized businesses, but the best way to have resolved this was to work with all of the nations in the West who share the same view we have to increase the leverage and the pressure on China. Furthermore, we also with I'm sorry, I can't take that torp too long. Um, it's like listening to, to Hannity, but worse uh, when he's just yelling, yelling, yelling. I, I don't need you to yell at me, Kasich. I don't need you to yell. He always yells. Le Le Sean lately just seems like he's yelling all the time, and, and Kasich does too whenever he, he is talking. But is there anyone more sufferable and insufferable in American politics than John Kasich? Uh, to lecture the president, he, he essentially is saying that the president is doing all this stuff because Barack Obama did something else, and so he's going to do opposite. That, that's not actually it. Um, the president has long maintained these issues and these views, and, uh, you know, I get a lot of criticism of the president, but he's actually been more consistent in his life on public policy issues than John Kasich. Maybe Kasich needs to go away for a little while.